through 6, 9 through 13. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lay us not to temptation, but this, but deliver us from evil. All right. Hello, Redemption Tucson. Good morning to you. My daughter Zoe had said that I always say, what's up, Redemption Tucson? So I thought I'd do that, and she's actually been mocking me. I don't know if... Um, you know, quarantine, our kids are starting to get out of, out of line, but um, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Dave, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church Tucson, and um, I do want to let you know I have a speech impediment. It'll kind of come in and out as I preach, so I want to give you a, uh, a heads up on that, and also, um, how, how awesome was that? Just getting to hear the, the kids. Um, uh, I actually keep my beard grown out and have it gray, so you don't think I am a, a kid. Um, so, um, but there, yeah, so cute and sweet, and, and now we get to continue in this, um, this series that we've been in through the Lord's Prayer. And I, I want to, um, though, say something. Uh, where we were last week, we talked about um, give us this day our daily bread. And we talked about the Lord giving to us and giving through us and how we can all give in different ways, you know, as we're able and things like that. And I just want to thank you as a church. We have shown up and stepped up. Um, we are in a good place right now, financially and in terms of serving. Like what Jenny said earlier, we've just been able to contribute and come alongside others here in Tucson, caring in ministries as a partnership and um, that we have and through them and through Corazon Ministries. We've just been able to serve um, and again, come alongside the work that they're doing and, and, and help to equip them to distribute food and, 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 and prepare food for many people. And also on a financial sense, um, as we talked about the last number of weeks, that those of us who are work right now and our, our paycheck is consistent to be able to give um, and to kind of fill in the gap for others. And I just want to encourage you to continue that. Um, and again, just to say thank you for those of you who have been um, giving generously, sacrificially, consistently. Um, we anticipate that the Lord is even preparing us for uh, a long time up ahead just to be able to be um, a, a generous presence within um, within. Tucson within our church um, and with others that we get to come alongside. And so now this morning we, we switch gears and we're in this um, next part. It's a short part in the Lord's Prayer where Jesus tells us um, to pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or perhaps you learn this, forgive us our trespasses. Or, right, this is the part where usually we all kind of mumble. If you grew up like playing sports, you all do the Lord's Prayer, and everyone's kind of like, give us, a, right? And one person says trespasses and sins and debts. And um, well, we're going to walk through some of that this morning. And um, just to kind of help even explain that, there's actually this one word in Aramaic, the common language that Jesus spoke, that um, one word for debts and trespasses, so he likely said the same word and then, um, or that, that one word. And then um, over the years, people in the translations um, try to figure, okay, this means more debts or trespasses. But again, we're going to make some sense of that this morning. So what we're going to do, though, to help understand this is we're going to look at two stories from the Old Testament to help make some sense about this 
passage in particular, because the big idea, what Jesus is saying is our understanding of our need for forgiveness and God's provision of forgiveness is directly related to how we extend or don't toward others. So again, our own forgiveness of ourselves and extending forgiveness to others is directly linked and connected. And so that's what we're going to walk through a couple stories um, in the Old Testament before we circle back around and land here in Matthew. Amen. All right. Let's pray together as we get into our time in God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even in uh, many weeks ago, and it's crazy because it seems like a time warp right now, just how um, long weeks and days can seem. And it's nuts that we, um, uh, just over a month ago, we're starting this sermon series and, and we looked at the reality of what it means to come before you and to call you Father. And then Lord, to have your name be central and shaping and most sacred, most hallowed. And Lord, everything that we've walked through in this prayer, we trust that you're growing us, shaping us, transforming us by the renewing of our minds. Lord, we pray that specifically as we get into this time together, Jesus, your words of talking about forgiveness and what it looks like to be forgiven by the Father and how that relates with us extending forgiveness toward others, we pray that you will help us. Lord, soften our hearts. Encourage those who need to be encouraged, Lord. Exhort and rebuke those of us who need to be exhorted and rebuked. And perhaps some of us are in, we need to be encouraged and exhorted. So we submit to the Holy Spirit and trust that you will lead us through this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me um, help us just imagine uh, a story here of two, two guys. So the first guy is entitled... He has a lot. He is incredibly um, ingracious. He, he doesn't extend grace toward others. He, he, um, he's really hypocritical. He doesn't see his own sins, his own transgressions, um, and he just consumes. He, he uses other people and he relates with them on that level. And again, he kind of looks at himself through rose-colored glasses and, and not others. And, 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 and then this, this other guy or this other situation where this guy has been greatly sinned against. He has been, um, someone tried to commit adultery against him um, or, or, or to where it would, it would affect him. And, and someone tried to take over what was his to take his house, to actually have him killed, to commit murder. And yet, he remained incredibly gracious and generous. He, he pleaded for this guy to turn around and to change. He, he longed for him to repent, right? That means to stop going from this direction and to turn and start going in the right direction. He longed for that. And when this guy who had been sinning against him actually ended up dying, he grieved it. He was sad over it. He extended grace. He gave favor that was not deserved. And it's actually the same guy. The first story I told is of King David, who you may have heard of some of the things in his life, and it kind of came to a culmination where his entitlement, he had forgotten God who had been so gracious and generous toward him. He just wanted more and more and more. He took another man's wife, even though he had many wives himself and could have had any others. He wanted this one specific woman. He abused her. And um, then when she became pregnant, he had her husband, Uriah, killed. And he couldn't see it. And then 
later, he was incredibly gracious. And in fact, it was his own son, Absalom, who tried to take over and even for a short time did take over his own kingdom and just publicly shamed him by sleeping with all of his concubines and again, tried to have him killed and he had to escape and all these things. And he still continued to long for his son to see the light, to turn around, to ask for forgiveness that he was ready and excited and willing to extend. So what happened? Same guy, right? Two very different stories. Well, repentance. Psalm 51 is what we're going to look at a bit here together. Again, before we get back to those famous words of Jesus, where Jesus talks about, about um, God forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven others of their debts. And then later, this is the only part where Jesus circles back around. So again, we're going to get to that because he expounds on it even more. We're going to look at that. But first, let's look at, again, this guy, David, right? This is about a thousand years before the time of Jesus. What happened? Well, he was confronted with his sin. The prophet Nathan told this story. It's like the ultimate mic drop sermon, by the way. He just straight up tricks David. He tells him the story. And again, David can't see it. And it's the whole story of what David had done. And he tells it all to him. And David hears it and he's indignant. And he's like, what? Who was this guy? Let me find him. He's got to die. And then Nathan says, you are that man. Like he holds his nose in his own sin. He reveals it to him or more likely God, a loving and pursuing father, right? Holds up a mirror and reveals David's sin toward him. And thankfully David responds. Well, he has to. He needs forgiveness. He's seen his own transgression. And then in Psalm 51 Let me just go ahead. We're just going to look at the first five verses of this. So I'll read them together. And then we're actually going to kind of work our way back up. um, kind of in first order. So in verse one, this is what David says when he finally sees his sin. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. So again, what we see here is clearly that David walks through this process of coming face to face with his own sin. And he says some things there that are helpful for us. And I think we need to walk through to see what it looks like to recognize our own desperate need of forgiveness. Because David really struggled to give forgiveness or grace toward anyone else before he saw his own need for it. And in verse five there, right, it looks like he's kind of throwing his mom under the bus. I don't know if you've ever read this before. It looks like he's kind of disrespecting his own mom, right? Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Dude, how are you going to talk about your mom like that? That's right. Well, no, what he's saying is you've heard us say or talk about that all of us are sinners, Right. Joel explained sin earlier. Right. No, thanks, God. I don't want what you have to give. I don't want my identity and my purpose to be shaped from you. I want to define my own life my way. I want to do it my way. And all of us by nature and by choice 
are sinners. And what David is getting at here is by nature, I'm a sinner. All right. And yet let's pause for a minute, right? And I want to, I want to challenge you as I've been challenged throughout this week, as I prepared to think about yourself right now. Not everyone else who needs to hear this sermon, not everyone else who you might think is self-righteous, but how often do you do something you shouldn't do? You sin and act shocked by it. And then quickly turn to circumstances. Oh, well, man, this happened. I can tell you as a father of triplets, that first year, the first six months especially, all kinds of evil came out of me, came out of my mouth, came out of my attitude, came out of my life, right? And it was so easy to just be like, oh, man, I've got triplets, like six-month-old triplets. What do you expect with this? But no, thankfully, I had friends in my life and different people. We actually shared a home with our good friends who've been involved, well, watching these sermons as well. And, um, and I, there were a couple times where there were some hard moments and hard conversations of recognizing, hey, that sin was already there. This circumstance gave opportunity to it, right? And David is recognizing this. I've been a sinner from day one. I was born. He's not throwing his mom under the bus. He's, he's acknowledging I was made with the very fabrics that sin had affected and infected and penetrated. And so when I was born from the very beginning, I'm a sinner. And Jesus is getting at this as well. Back in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's walking through in what's called the Beatitudes, especially. And then after that, where he starts to talk about, you've heard it's a sin if you do X, Y, and Z, but I tell you, it's actually a sin even below that right? You have heard, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look after a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with her. You've heard, do not commit murder. But I say to you, if you're unjustly angry in your heart, you've already committed murder, right? He's not just looking at the surface where we're often okay and content settling in. And I think what he gets at all, and what's important even for us to understand is um, many of us, if, if it was called upon, if it was necessary and possible, we could go to all sorts of levels of sin, right? M- again, murder, l- lust, adultery, and this is what's going on in David's life, all these different things. If opportunity presented itself um, or we felt like it was necessary We would do all kinds of things, and it's coming from a deep place, from our nature. And then he goes on in verse 4, and he says something else that I want to help us explain. He says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Well, um, didn't he just have a dude killed? I think he sinned against that guy too, right? He just says, against you and you only, God, have I sinned. And he also sinned against Bathsheba. By the way, we've gotten into this before. I'm not gonna, I don't have time to go into all this, but I don't think she was a, I think she was actually a victim of abuse. That, that David abused his power. She had really no say, no, um, no hope in this. She was a, a kind of a low peasant person and he just had his way. And so David sinned against her as well. And, and, and yet he says, God against you and you only have I sinned. Well, he's doing something that actually Jesus does as well. Again, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's using what's understood as Semitic hyper 
hyperbole. And this time, you would use these phrases, right? Which Jesus says the same thing, right? Unless you hate your parents, you cannot follow me. And Jesus is saying, no, unless kind of, that's a comparative kind of love. Unless your love for me is so great that in contrast to it, your love for anything or anyone else looks like hate, then you're not truly my follower, right? He, he says things like this. And, and again, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says things like, cut out your eye and throw it away, cut off your hand and throw it away unless your whole body be burned in the fire. And he's not saying run around and pluck out eyes and chop off hands, right? He's saying, listen, it needs to be that serious to you. And that's what David is doing as well. Again, for you and I, how often when we sin, do we recognize ultimately every sin comes back to a sin against God. In fact, um, Martin Luther famously said, you can't commit any other sin. You can't break any one of the 10 commandments unless you break the first, which the first one is have no other gods before him, right? And first you replace God with something else and that leads to all other types of sin. So David is recognizing here in this moment, wow, every other sin I've committed ultimately is first and foremost a sin against God, an affront to God, a questioning of his character, of his goodness, of his power. So again, I wanna encourage you right now, I want to encourage all of us to think about how often do we struggle to see ourselves as sinners? And maybe put it a different way, how hard is it for you to extend grace toward others? It's likely connected to you struggling to see your own need for forgiveness. And as David digs deeper, he sees, well, if I've sinned against God, if every sin is an affront against God, you can't dismiss it. You can't say, well, I slipped up. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. Hey, I, I had triplets, right? Life's hard. No, it ultimately comes back to how have I, how have I chosen an affront? Okay, this, how have I chosen to turn my nose up toward my creator? And then in these next, in the first three verses, he gets at this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly, like all the way through from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. There's a humility here that David, that whole first part hits where he understands, listen, behavior modification isn't going to cut it. All right, when you're faced with your own sin, your own shortcoming, your own transgressions so clearly, so seriously, then you see your only hope is for God to do a heart change. Okay, to be born again, as is talked about in John, that you have to be transformed from the inside out in order for behavior to look differently. Again, for David, he sees, or we see, there is a direct connection from the ability to extend grace toward others, to forgive others, comes from an understanding of God's forgiveness and our need for that ourselves. So now circle back to this, uh, this Lord's Prayer, right? Where Jesus is praying and he says in Matthew chapter five, right? What we've been walking through, he says, um, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven are debtors. And then again, this is the only part in the whole Lord's Prayer where Jesus takes it um, a step further. And, and he actually explains it in a couple of verses down. Down in verse 14, he says, 
For if you forgive others their trespasses, I don't know if I just said David, Jesus, by the way. Okay, we're back to Jesus talking. So Jesus says in verse 14, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. That's confusing, right? Um, You and I might hear that and go toward, oh, so there's a prerequisite for God's forgiveness, I have to do something before he will forgive me. Well, let's look at a, look at a quote that I actually read um, this week from a guy named Eric Raymond. And this is actually what he says. The Christian understands that they bring nothing to God in terms of merit and that they are wholly dependent upon grace and mercy. Okay, that's undeserved favor and, um, and forgiveness to receive a full and complete forgiveness. If we have been forgiven and understand forgiveness, we will forgive others. Okay, underline that, hear that, just say it over again. Okay, look at your kid, your neighbor, whatever, your dog, right? If we understand God's forgiveness and our desperate need for his forgiveness, we will forgive others. And conversely, If we do not forgive others, we do not understand what forgiveness is all about. And this give evidence that we are probably not recipients of the life-changing divine mercy that God lavishes in his son or through his son. So again, it's like this. Forgiveness toward others is a fruit, right? How do you know you have an apple tree? There are apples on it, right? Jesus talks about this. Examine a tree by its fruit. Well, if you belong to him, if you actually rightly understand his forgiveness towards you and your desperate need for his forgiveness, then a fruit of that will be a growing expression of forgiveness toward others. And I say growing because it's not always an overnight. It's not always like, oh yeah, now I just all of a sudden someone cuts me off and I'm okay with that. I'm like, Hey, there's plenty of road. Come on in. You know, just uh, true confession this morning, walking around the block, we were talking to our neighbor from like 20 feet away in a car and my hood, right? Rolls through and honks the horn. And like, we're out of the way and everything. And he wanted, you know, throw up some hand signals and, you know, yell some things at him. And, 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 but Holy Spirit's like, you're about to preach on this in an hour. Um, right. But so it's a growing process of this understanding of, of as we understand our own need for forgiveness to that level, we are able to extend forgiveness toward others. And so it's not a prerequisite. This is not what's called works righteousness. Okay. We still affirm and believe wholeheartedly by grace alone, through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone, are we forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God, our father. But, or, and a fruit of that, as we understand it, it will be revealed. It will be lived out in our lives. But here's the deal. Okay. I want you to understand this, that sin in every way leads to a bondage to unforgiveness but Jesus deals with sin. And with Jesus dealing with sin, he now sets us free and enables us to receive forgiveness and then empowers us to be able to forgive others. 
Okay. And it's, and it's, and it's a sense that he now gives us a power that we don't have in and of ourselves. And it's something that we so desperately need to do. Okay. This week, as I looked at forgiveness, I read all kinds of stories from prisoners of war, um, survivors of the Holocaust. And then specifically, I heard one quote from someone who survived the Rwandan genocide. And this is what they said about forgiveness, how it's not just good for everyone else, but you need forgiveness. And I need forgiveness. It's not good for us. It's, it's cancerous to us if we live in a state of unforgiveness toward others. This is what this quote was from, from Celestine Musekura, who was again a Rwandan genocide survivor. The person who fails to forgive becomes a victim twice a victim of what has been done to him and a victim of what he does to himself. Forgiveness means you are not bound by the past and you are not defined by what has happened to you. Healing does not take place until we forgive. Again, sin enslaves us. It enslaves us to what we've done and, hear me now, to what has been done to us. But Jesus gives us a power through his forgiveness of us by the giving of his Holy Spirit to now live into a life of freedom where sin binds us in unforgiveness, not only our need for forgiveness for ourselves, but our inability to extend it toward others. Jesus sets us free. Jesus empowers us to now forgive others. Okay, and, and, and I want to say a couple things, though, about that to help, because I think some people, a lot of people who are in there, we think, oh, well, that means this or that. And sadly, even abusers often will kind of manipulate this or will twist it. So what does forgiveness mean and not mean? It does not mean you pretend something didn't happen. Okay, God doesn't do that toward us. He looks straight at, and we see that in Jesus. He looks straight at our sin, and he dealt with it. Okay, so forgiveness doesn't mean just pretend that something doesn't happen. Forgiveness also doesn't mean reconciliation. Okay, there's a huge difference there. Sometimes it's unwise to be reconciled to someone who's sinned against us. While we still need to extend forgiveness toward them. Again, this person who survived the Rwandan genocide, especially if their abuser, right, was not, was not um, repentant, didn't have a changed heart, was still v- violent and dangerous, then no, you don't go break bread with that person and be you know, reconciled and be like, well, I'm supposed to forgive, right? It doesn't mean you forget. It doesn't just mean that you're reconciled. In Jesus, we see that he reconciles us to God and we're forgiven. And through him, we're able to forgive others and where the gospel is reigning and ruling to be reconciled to others. But if someone doesn't want to be reconciled, Okay, it doesn't mean that you should be or even can be reconciled to them. So it's not those things. But again, some of us right now, as we kind of prepare to close, I want to recognize some of us feel like there is no way. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what, what might be um, weighing heavy on your heart, what, what kind of sin has been committed against you. You might be thinking, well, how? How in the world am I going to forgive someone else. I actually just read this verse this morning um, from 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says this, the weapons we fight with 
are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Only through Jesus's work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and the giving of his Holy Spirit, only from that power can you and I forgive others. So what do you do in this moment? You press in, you press in, evaluate. Where do you need to extend grace? Where do you need to forgive others? What does it look like for you to extend grace toward others? And where you come up against it, where you struggle against it, go to the cross. Look to Jesus. All right, you don't try to muster it up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, just again, forgive and forget, pretend like it didn't happen. No, go to the cross. Continue to press in and to see how Jesus has set you free. Because we can pray, Lord, you have forgiven me of my debts. And by the same power that forgave me, by your Holy Spirit, set me free. Enable me to now forgive others. Enable me to now live a life of forgiveness. Receiving your forgiveness and extending that forgiveness, proclaiming that forgiveness, demonstrating that forgiveness toward others. Because we see Jesus on display and the power that only he can bring. The power for us to be forgiven and the power for us to extend forgiveness toward others. So let's pray to our good God as his people, his forgiven people, his reconciled people. Heavenly Father, we pray that you will, um, Lord, free us where we need to be set free. Lord, we pray that um, where there are shackles, where there's bondage, where there's strongholds, Lord, where we need to um, have a power that we don't possess on our own, we pray that we will look to Jesus Lord, I pray that even now as we sing, as we respond, Lord, that you will do a healing work. God, that, that the same power you talk about, Saul, when you talk about um, the power that moves mountains to be cast into the sea, it's connected to forgiveness. Lord, we need your power to allow us to understand our need for and your provision for us and your forgiving us. And then, Lord, the power for us to walk in forgiveness toward others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.